Hello, everyone, and welcome to Data Femme, where we engage you with stories of how innovators across the globe are using data to achieve new heights in their respective industries. I'm Danielle, founder of Decayo Data, and I appreciate your patience because it has been a little bit of time since I released an episode. Between making my speech for our studio conference 2021 and considering applying to PhD, um, I've just been all over the place, but I am back and I have a wonderful episode to reunite us this time. So my friend Chris O'Brien has been talking to me a lot on Twitter about cloud computing, which I had mentioned that I have little to no experience with, and he offered to educate not only me, but you with a series of slides that he created, which you can find on the site in the show notes. I will make it very clear which part of our episode you need them for, Um, and also just some talk about the industry and what it means to get involved with cloud computing, what security issues there may or may not be, and it's all very informative and exciting. This episode is sponsored by Linode, who you will hear more about mid-episode. I am so grateful for all the work that everybody put into this episode, and I can't wait to hear what you think. Well, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so excited that we're doing this episode. I want to thank you for like supporting the podcast for so long through just like, you know, hyping me up on Twitter, but also um, being a Patreon supporter, obviously. And, you know, it really it really helps keep my morale up. So I really appreciate that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I have so many questions, I guess. I want to start out, since you are on the other end of the world, like, what is the data science climate like over in New Zealand? It's still very new, I think. Like, I I think the way I think of data science is still really quite broad in terms of all the different streams that exist within it. So, you know, data engineering and analytics and visualization and ethics and uh, what I found, because I was abroad for a few years and sort of came back, is a very um, big data science community, you know, sort of um, meetups across the country. But outside of that, it's a little bit harder to find groups that are talking about anything outside of maybe a special new model that's come out or something like that. So it, it's good and it's developing over time. And it's something that I would really like to sort of, you know, ease access into in sort of all the different areas that is data really. Yeah, I think it's a cool thing that maybe with this global collaborative environment, with all of us being online, there is less of a local learning curve. But speaking of learning curve, I know that the audience would really love to hear about how you got into data science. Um, So I think like 
like everyone, I sort of fell into data, which is there wasn't really offered data science um, degrees when I sort of was at university. So um, I came into it quite late uh, by, I was originally doing a lot of support work. So I would look after applications and what they were doing. And I was in financial services and I found that I was really able to uh, work one of the databases that we use that have just has the most awkward language to use. Uh, and it's called uh, KDB, which is great for like really quick sort of time series work. Um, and I was, I, I found that I had sort of fell into being able to understand it quite well and ended up generating like a lot of reports for the business. Um, so I was doing so much analytics on the different things that we were doing in terms of trading performance and problems we were having, all sorts of a variety of things. I ended up sort of falling into a new group that was spinning up specifically for the application I was looking after, like called an analytics team. Um, and yeah, so I was, I ended up doing all of my analytics sort of through that role and learning as I was going. Um, I was fascinated by it. Um, and through luck or bad luck, you could call it, um, I ended up um, fracturing my spine while um, snowboarding. Um, and had three months out and sort of took three months to do um, a couple of Coursera courses. I did Andrew Ning's uh, machine learning course um, and really enjoyed it. And so that's that's sort of how I came into being in sort of the data world. Wow, I'm really sorry to hear about your injury. Actually, last year, last fall, I fractured my tibia and it was a spiral fracture and it was serious and I was on bed rest and had to get surgery. So what I remember from that time is how invested I got in audiobooks, especially, um, but also different podcasts and different um, online marketing courses. And it was just, it was cool to see like how much audio can be stimulating when like your other senses are kind of, you know, um, less than, less than up to speed. Absolutely. I, um, I use my audio time for podcasts. I should use it more for, um, for learning, but I think just ingesting it slowly. I don't think I like take on board fully what they're saying. So I think it's kind of one of those background noises for me. It's definitely easier to, you know, listen to like a 40 minute podcast while you're cleaning or like walking around than it is to like sit down and actually like do tutorials with YouTube right next to you. The thing about podcasts is they get your motivation up to learn, even if they're not teaching you like the technical skills that are like, you know, going to actually come to play when you start your projects. There are definitely podcasts that are more technical than mine, like in terms of like a how-to, but those really aren't the ones that I tend to listen to. But th if I do listen to a podcast, I feel like I get the motivation to spend the day doing a course about SQL. That's what I love about your podcast, right? Like I, maybe I'm approaching this from a different angle, which is, I suppose, doing a lot of the technical, but I think what I what I've missed and what I would like to understand more of is I love hearing about the like data ethics like Sophia Noble's work is incredible. Um, uh, data feminism was another uh, great book that I really enjoyed, um, and all of them. I, I don't think data should be working in an area without understanding of its impact, and that's that's what's come across for me from your podcast is just how strong that sort of that feeling is for me now that I really want to help others sort of get that point as well. This episode of Datafem is sponsored by my friends at Linode. 
Whether you're working on a personal project or managing enterprise infrastructure, you deserve simple, affordable, and accessible cloud computing solutions that allow you to soar to the next level. Linode, with 11 global data centers and 24-7 human support, helps you simplify your cloud infrastructure with Linux virtual machines with which you can develop, deploy, and scale your modern applications faster and easier. What's more is that DataFem listeners can get started on Linode today with $100 in free credit. You can access this along with more details at www.linode.com slash In addition to shared and dedicated compute instances, you can use your $100 in credit on S3-compatible object storage, managed Kubernetes, and more. Host your website, build your app, store or back up your media. It's all up to you. Get started when you claim your $100 of credit at linode.com slash also in the show notes. Now let's get back to our show. So in the next portion of our episode, Chris is going to talk me and by extension you through how cloud computing works. And he was kind enough to put together a slide presentation that you can access on the site, um, decayodata.com, and follow along. There will be a link to do this from Apple and Spotify as well, so that you can get the most out of our conversation. But before we delve into the nitty gritty, Chris, I would love for you to tell us a bit about how you got into the cloud computing space for those of us who might be interested or might not know what your responsibilities are. When I first got into analytics, um, I was working very much in what we call an on-premises style. Um, so we had servers that were in our own data center somewhere, uh, but we'd also do a lot of work on our local machines. Um, so, of course, we were running them through notebooks that I was running locally and pretty much the style that I think a lot of people are really comfortable with where that's one up like an Studio locally. They're downloading CSVs and they're importing it and doing whatever data transformations and analysis and visualization they want to do. Um, and yeah, so that was, that was fascinating. Um, it was really great to learn how all that worked. Uh, when I came back to New Zealand, uh, I found that because I was working for smaller companies, a lot of them were actually working in the cloud. And my first job sort of on a cloud company was sort of having to ramp up very quickly and understand, well, what does data look like in, in a cloud situation? And the way that cloud had well, was different from what I had been used to was that uh, while I was aware of like how servers and sort of everything's you know connected to each other, um, these you know services like AWS and Google and Azure, um, what they do is they they give you sort of built services for you to use. So rather than having to understand how to build and you know create your own database, they just give you a database. Or instead of having to understand how to build your own Jupyter environment, they will just give you that for you and a nice little endpoint for you to connect to. So they try to simplify a lot of the, the manual effort that you have to put into to make these things work. And boy, uh, it is <laughs> quite the uphill battle to understand these things sometimes. It definitely seems as such, but fortunately we have you to talk us through right now. So we'll definitely be coming back to more details about 
how to get into the cloud computing space and challenges with working on a team in that capacity, et cetera. But for right now, um, I'd like to start with the basics of what is cloud computing and how can we tie it into our data science educations? So I think from a technical perspective, the best way to think about how the cloud works and the way that you interface with the cloud is really in the same way that we all interface with the data that we use. Uh, we work a lot with the data in terms of, you know, getting it from a data source. We do some kind of transformation on it and then we load it into like R or Python or whatever we do. Um, and you'll see that sort of, as I present on the slide, on the far right hand side, you've got the visualizing and analyzing side. And that's the bits that a lot of like, we're, you know, a lot of us are really comfortable with and where I started in my comfort, you know, I was very comfortable working with Python. Um, I had a lot of, you know, a little bit of experience working with databases and how I connected to them, but everything to the left, you know, how all that data was made available was just completely obfuscated from me. I, it wasn't something I really understood, but really all it is, is the same thing that we're doing on a big scale. Um, so if you're really interested in terms of the cloud, I'd approach it really depending on how much you want to know about it. Uh, so for example, if you were like from the really low level that you need to know, you really only need to know how do you say connect to a database on the cloud. Um, and those are made available sometimes through various services where they'll give you a connection to connect to a database. That could be like through a username and password or a token or anything like that that allows you to connect from R or Python directly to the database and pull that in. And that's probably the simplest way that any of us really interface with the cloud. Um, if you're more familiar with Power BI and Tableau, very, very similar sort of thing. You'll have a data engineer who will have set you up with that access probably already. And that's not to say that you can't, but that's where I would approach sort of learning the cloud initially. Just understanding how do I connect to the, the data resources that I use day to day. Um, the next sort of thing, if you're interested in pushing that the next step forward is, well, how do you automate getting that data and storing it? So if you're a bit tired of always having to run those same transformations every day, the next sort of step is, well, how do I, how do I automate that? And really that's going to be doing a lot of what you're doing at the moment. That could be automatically downloading a CSV or that could be automatically connecting to some web endpoint or some scraper or doing something to get the data that could be like a FTP or something like that and then transforming that data. And this is where we get a little bit deeper into the intrinsic. So the example that I've used in AWS is the use of lambdas. And what a lambda is, is a really small South function where you can give it some data or some location or some time or some trigger that it will then go off and do some piece of work. Uh, the really good example in data is where we will tell it to say every hour or every two hours, go off to some website, collect that data, do a transformation on it and then put that somewhere. So if we've already gotten as far as understanding how we connect to a database and a little bit about SQL and how we select data, the next bit of work that we're going to look to really understand is, well, how do we put that data now into the database for us? And that's what this next step is, is how do I get the data and how do I put it into the database? And so at this point, you're going to be working a lot with sort of like lambdas, databases, uh, S3 is what we call um, sort of file storage in AWS. Um, it's analog and Azure is what we call blob storage. Um, or for lambdas, it's analog is sort of like the, the whole Databricks setup that they've got there. Um, so yeah, so at this point, you've sort of 
you're you're building on that comfort of like automating the way that you transform the data that you're doing manually on your laptop every day. And I do recommend this. This will make your life about a thousand times easier because having to run that same thing every day when you're doing reports for like the business is just one of the most mind numbing things. And that's how I really like came to really enjoy data engineering because like honestly trying to fix like some small thing on my laptop was just super frustrating. So it was really nice to be able to get that automated. Um, once you've learned those concepts, that that's broader thing of how do I transform data to make it available in terms of business metrics is really the next set of steps. And this is actually using a lot of the skills that we've already just touched on at this point. So you can still use Lambda. Lambda is another process that you can then say, pull the data every second hour from the database, do a business transformation on it, say calculating a couple of different sources together, and then making that available back in that database again. So we're just building on those same skills that we've had. So now we're using that selection from the database, doing a transformation, and then putting it back in, or putting it to a file somewhere that we have access to. Um, if you wanted to go as far as doing something with real-time data at this point, this is something we could also be learning. You could also be learning about something like Kafka or SQS. So if you've ever heard these terms talked about, um, what we talk about with this is sort of how do we make data available in real time? And these are services that are, are available to us to do that. Um, so what we have in this middle area is, is the sending layer. So this sending layer talks very much about how do we make data available in a real-time fashion for services who would like to consume it. Um, and there are a lot of technologies out there that do this. Uh, there are sources like, uh, there are services like Kafka, and Kafka is available on most different platforms like AWS and Azure and Microsoft or Google, I'm not 100% sure. Um, and then you've got sort of domain-specific versions of them. So, for example, on AWS, they, use, they make a service available called SQS. And really, SQS, all it is is you submitting some data onto a pipe is the best way to sort of visualize this, that other services can then pull and read that information off of. Uh, those services might get notifications when new data is available. So they're actually processing it immediately, which is really neat to sort of get the realms of sort of live updating dashboards and bits like that. So that's really what we're talking about at that sending layer is that, that real-time information. You don't have to start there, and I wouldn't recommend starting there. You know, putting a data into a file on a file storage is, is a really good way to start. Uh, and then building up sort of that real-time technology is that next step. Um, but it's a, it's a great way of sort of making data more distributed, more available to everybody. Um, and there's nothing too complex here. All we're really talking about is sending something like JSON from one service to another. And it's all that it's really doing under the hood. You don't have to build them yourselves, but understanding at least how the data moves within it is really all you want to understand. As we were talking about with transforming, you've got obviously the uh, lambdas that we already talked about. Uh, and then we've got in um, AWS the concept of ECS, which sort of utilizes uh, technologies like Docker, which you might have heard of. Um, and when we talk about Docker, all we're really talking about is sort of a small self-contained little piece of, well, almost like a self-contained computer, really. Um, the funny joke that goes around about Docker is sort of the, the developer that says, oh, it worked on my laptop, so we'll just ship your laptop. And that's the best analogy I can think of it, really, is that you're taking a well-known system or a system that has, it's deterministic, is the word I'm looking for, um, in that it's always the same in terms of the output of the operating system. 
Um, and what you do is in this little operating system, you put your Python scripts and you make sure you only import the same versions of the libraries that you're looking for. And this works with R as well. So you'd use the same R environment, use the same R library. So you're never accidentally deploying a different library version from one person versus, say, another person. You're getting a really nice defined unit. And these units effectively start up and they process the data and then they can put that somewhere else. Um, the nice thing about these, of course, is that we can actually scale them and put more of them in there to process more data as we get, you know, a more and more complex data environment. Um, and that's really what we're doing when we're talking, well, what we're talking about when we talk about automated transformation. And then finally, if you're at the point now where you've built your data services in the cloud, you've got it all there, and you want to now make it available to others, you're really going to want to be learning about these, these sending mechanisms. You want to understand Kafka. You want to understand SQS. But then you also want to understand, well, how do I make maybe the data that I've got available, my data warehouse available to others? And how do I make that file storage? Um, and this is where we start talking about sort of security as well, because if you're processing other people's data, um, you want to treat that with the, the I suppose, the uh, same way you would treat your own data. You want to make sure that it's safe and secure so that people aren't accessing stuff that they shouldn't. Um, so database access is really important at this point. You also want to be understanding the visualization tools that you're making available too. You know, how do they operate on the data? Um, one of the big things for me was understanding that you know, Tableau can work on the raw data that's doing a lot of transformations internally on whereas my analysis has always been on really transformed data. I'd already done the aggregates. I'd already built the at plot, you know, lib graphs and made them all available, and then suddenly I'm being told, oh, we just want access to the raw data. I'm going, well, that's what. Um, so these are the things you want to know. Um, I think the examples on Azure is like event hub and queue storage for your streaming. Um, and then like Power BI and Tableau are pretty ubiquitous sort of across the whole industry. So yeah, um, that's how you can now make data available to others. Um, the last thing for data scientists they might really want to understand is, well, how do I deploy my model to the cloud? Um, it's a really big topic. That in of itself is something that there are multiple different technologies out there for. And I would hate to say that one is the best or there is a specific way of doing something because every company is really different at um, I would. This is why we have the concept of a machine learning engineer. These people are responsible for making the models available in production such that they get the data that they need every time to generate the results that they, they need to you know, return. So. I'm not going to talk a lot about it, but I would suggest if you're interested in that sort of area, what you want to look at is sort of like AWS's SageMaker. You want to look at it like Azure's machine learning, uh, Google's AI platform or AutoML. Um, and if you're looking at something that sort of works everywhere, technologies like MLflow is sort of what, what a lot of people or companies are using to do that. And so that's sort of the tools you're looking for for deploying your models into production. Um, yeah, um, and that, that's really sort of how I would approach cloud. Um, Ramp up. Everything is a ramp. And starting from what you're doing at the moment, which is getting it data, and then going up from there is, is the best way to do it. And the best projects are the things that we're doing day to day, which is those, those transformations of data, the things that you just have to run every time and take 30 minutes sometimes, are the things you just want to automate away. And that's really what the cloud is there for. That's a really beautiful description of everything, including the slides that you provided. So thank you so much. I know that. 
our listeners are going to be commenting and asking questions and giving feedback. And it's all very, very exciting. And now that we've kind of talked through what the cloud is, I would really, really, really love your perspective as a manager in this field on what the industry is like for people who want to get into cloud computing through data science or otherwise, just your comments on the climate for that. This is the problem with sort of, especially this industry and engineering and tech in itself, like the the terms we throw around are incredibly gatekeeping, uh, especially in like, if you don't understand them, um, people will use them anyway under the assumption that you do know them. And that's not always the case. And I think we could all sort of benefit from actually not using these terms and describing them in ways that, you know, actually talks to what they do rather than some abstract acronym that we throw around. But that's my own bug there. I think the, the best way to sort of start with the cloud, especially from a, a data science perspective, is, is really just knowing that a lot of what we're all doing day to day really has a, a version of that in the cloud. Uh, so, for example, if you are just really accessing information that's stored on the internet or on a database somewhere, um, you're already using the cloud. Um, you're doing, you know, you're accessing a database that exists within, say, Amazon or uh, Microsoft Azure or something like this, and you're trying to get the data back. And so, you know, a lot of us are already using the, using the cloud day to day at the moment. I think in terms of like skills from a really basic level, um, what you're really looking to understand is just, well, how do I connect to a database? Um, if you're used to working with CSVs, um, a lot, that can be quite an, you know, the first hurdle, I suppose, is that you're not working with files locally on your laptop anymore, but you're having to go off and learn a bit of SQL, like how, how can I use SQL to download the data? Uh, but you also have to understand how you can connect to the database as well. Other things that are really worth learning are sort of like, uh, how permissions on a database work. So often um, you'll only be given access to certain tables rather than sort of the whole database in of itself. And so understanding those sort of um, initial steps are the first way I would approach learning cloud. Gotcha. Yeah, as somebody who spent most of my master's degree working with CSVs, I am intrigued by any other option that could make my life easier to work with data. I'd love to hear you talk more about the data collection process. The data that we all work with day to day when we look at a website or we look at uh, a CSV or a database has often gone through a lot of work just to get to that stage. Um, for example, getting data out of like a Shopify service or out of Spotify or anything like that, what they've done is they've, they've prepared you sort of a curated version of that data to look at. Even a website in of itself has had to go through a lot of work to generate the web, website that you're scraping to get the data out of. But really, even talking about what we do at a really big scale is the same uh, process as what you do on a small scale. So when you've got the data, um, there's, <laughs> there is no world in which all the data you're getting is clean data. You know, this is the problem that every data scientist and data analyst complains about is that there is no clean data. You know, we're always doing that work. Um, and that's the same thing we do just on a broader scale as well when we're talking about the systems that make the data available for you is we're trying to do as much of that as possible before you sort of get the data. We talk a lot about how we get the data. So in a, in a big company, when we're doing these transformations, we are connecting to REST APIs. So a REST API is, for example, when you do a 
connection to a website and you're doing like a get customers or something like this and you're requesting from that web point customer information or sales information or anything that is sort of like a, a web endpoint. Uh, you're going to ask what REST stands for. I'm going to say I cannot remember off the top of my head. Um, but fundamentally, it's the way in which you access data in a very you know, uh, defined way. Gotcha. And from a structural perspective, I'm really curious when you're working with the data like you just described in an office or, you know, at your job, how often are you interacting with the analysts who are taking the data you collect and interpreting it using regressions or data visualizations, et cetera? So I have my last role, I was leading a team. Uh, I had a data scientist on my team as well as data engineers. Um, I love my data scientists. They're a great person, um, but I certainly wouldn't ask them to be building the engineering parts of how we make the data that they want to use available. Uh, the, the real differences came in sort of the, the fact that you're working with, um, you're having to do a lot more engineering work than you are modeling and work like that. And that is work that um, someone who has maybe an engineering background in of itself might find a little bit easier to do. So it's working with the skills that they have. Um, I'd never ask my engineer to build a, to do a model and I'd never ask my data scientist to engineer me something, for example. Yeah, I think we're all kind of trying to reach a consensus on what these different terms and words mean when it comes to hiring roles. And often it does fall on the manager to make those distinctions. So it's good that you're always thinking about what people's strengths are and how, you know, different tasks can really illuminate those. I am really curious, too, about security and the interaction with cloud computing. I know that's kind of a slight shift in our conversation, but my mom is a cybersecurity professor at University of Texas, San Antonio. And so that's something I definitely want to start delving into and doing more um, work both on the Decaio data site and on DataFem. It's interesting. We often have dedicated security teams that will assist with security in of itself. And they'll be really focused on uh, what are the access mechanisms that we're making available into the data uh, and how are people able to get data off, their, off, say, our databases and onto their local laptops. Uh, the big thing sort of in a large company is that you typically don't want people running around with laptops with a bunch of data on it um, because that, you know, is a recipe for data getting out into the wild and having data leaks and all those sort of things. So those sort of um, things that run, those are the things that run through my head uh, as a manager is I'm looking at those situations where people are trying to access data and put it locally on their laptop. It's a really big part of what we do. And I think everybody needs to feel a little bit responsible for the data that they're looking after because it's someone else's information uh, and you should treat it as precious as you treat your own information. Yeah, your mention of personal devices really gets to the heart of the matter, I think. And honestly, it kind of relates to the reason why I haven't done enough experimentation in this area is because I feel intimidated by the fact that I do not have a work account under which there are databases and projects for me to apply my knowledge to after I learn it. And I know that there are ways, you know, MySQL, um, tons of other hosting that you can, you know, work with your own databases. But I guess 
if you have any advice for somebody who really wants to delve into this before entering a job, but doesn't really know how to apply the skills without having that job set up. Does that make sense? What would you tell them to do? I think we, I think we start by saying we're having a bit of empathy in the fact by saying we're all working with the cloud. Um, even getting a CSV off the internet is actually in some way touching the cloud. It's probably a little bit, you know, too generous maybe, but like ultimately we are all actually working with the cloud at the moment. So we shouldn't feel too bad about feeling like we don't because you are in every day what we do. I think the best way to sort of start with the cloud, um, having gone through it a little bit now, is probably starting with something like Amazon's Lambdas, um, especially if you've got a background in Python. Uh, from what I understand, I think they can work with R as well. Um, but the concept behind a Lambda is really a self-contained function. Um, so the idea is, is that you can send data over to your Lambda via the internet. So you can send a, like a get request if you need to know more about a get request, you can sort of have a look at the internet. But that effectively that's sending information to your Lambda over the internet, having it process that data, and maybe putting it as a file somewhere that you can access yourself afterwards. I think that's the nicest way to start with it because it's reasonably self-contained without having to understand the technologies that go around it. You're normally just given some web address that you can connect to and see it working almost immediately. Well, instant gratification. As a millennial, you know I can't say no to that. There's so much that we've covered when it comes to this concept of cloud computing, more than I ever imagined when we set this up on Twitter. So I just want to get a handle on kind of an overview, a consolidation of your best advice um, when it comes to this field. You are a front runner in the field. It's a growing field. You're a manager. I'm sure you have opinions on who you need and, you know, who you want to see get more involved and, you know, where you want to see the industry reach in the next year or two. So take it away. I think the best way to, to start with something like that is is working on uh, some of the more open source projects that exist. Um, I really enjoyed working on Kaggle when I first started um, and really understanding what bits of the whole data science pipeline or journey that I really enjoyed. Um, a lot of it, you'll get exposed to all of that in just doing a data science project. Uh, if you enjoy sort of industrial level data cleaning and quality and making that available to others, you know, data engineering might be something you find yourself quite enjoying. Um, if on the other hand, you find yourself really enjoying finding, you know, small bits of insights or analysis or things like that, um, you know, analytics is another good field. Um, and then, you know, the models and stuff like this is sort of the, the more data science part of it, I suppose the more classical data science part of it as well. Um, that's probably where I would start. If you're interested really in like how the cloud is put together and what bits you can do with it, um, again, it's finding something you can, you want to build or you want to, you know, make a reality. Um, and then really going into something like Amazon, uh, and having a look at something like, uh, Lambdas and the little instruction snippets that they have with it. Signing up for an Amazon account, you can get access to a bunch of examples snippets that they have that exist that show you how to do particular pieces of work and how to do a transformation or how to make some data available or how to do some data processing. So they've got a lot of really good help there. Um, otherwise, reaching out to others sort of in the field. Um, I found that for myself, 
uh, reading and learning sort of via online mechanisms is not my favorite way of doing it. I'm very much a, a doing and watching other people do things and talking to people about it. There's about a thousand different ways of doing any one thing and not one of them is the best way of necessarily doing thing. It's just different from the others with its own pros and cons. Um, and so, yeah, I wouldn't ever give up on, you know, just after you've tried one, there's always going to be some other way of doing it. And there's going to be someone there or some resource that you can help. And the internet is great for what we do because there's so much out there to learn from. Um, and that's the best way to learn, I reckon. Well, thank you so much, Chris. All of this discussion and advice and knowledge that you've shared with us is inspiring. And I definitely feel like we've gotten some people to consider looking more into cloud computing as part of their data science education because for me I'm definitely going to be motivated to look into it more in the future and I know that you mentioned earlier to me that you're happy to interact with curious people on Twitter. So I am going to tell my audience that you can find Chris on Twitter at Chris. OB1, and I'm going to spell it for you because it's not exactly um, the Star Wars spelling you might expect. It's a clever play on words. It's at Chris OBIO1E. And, you know, we interact on Twitter all the time. So you might see him on my profile, which is at Dikayo Data. Right now, I am moving away from formal data science a little bit to conduct a very heated poll on people's favorite Gossip Girl characters. Um, but normally I post a lot of data science resources and content that if you haven't explored, you should. Um, you know, Twitter is just a very vibrant data science community and we always love welcoming new people into the fold. I... I'm not quite sure if this episode has aired before or after, you know, the major holidays coming up. So I will say happy holidays to all of you anyway, um, whether it's early or belated. And if you're looking to support DataFem with any kind of holiday gift, the best way to do that is to visit my page on Patreon, which is www patreon.com slash datafem. Chris himself is an early Patreon supporter and I really appreciate it. I also want to give another shout out to Linode for sponsoring this episode. Um, you heard quite a bit about Linode earlier in the middle slash beginning of the episode during their ad, but if you want to check out more information, linode.com slash dikayo is where you can claim your $100 of free credit to get started managing your data world and data universe as we've been discussing. And I look forward to seeing you online and hopefully one day in the future in person.